0: All my life, been grinding. All my life, sacrifice, hustle, paid the price. Want a slice? Got to roll the dice. That's why. All my life, I've been grinding. All my life. It's time to grind. <laughs> oh, man, that shit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Grounded Podcast. I'm your host, Randall Tucker. That was Nipsey Hussle bringing us in with his song, Grinding All My Life. Let's hit that rail we call life, and let's grind it. So Jesus is having this conversation with this lady. He wants a drink of water. I mean, that's what sparked this whole thing. Did he have to ask this woman for a drink? Absolutely not. He could have spoke a word and he could have made a glass of water right there on the spot. He could have have spoke a word and made the well overflow and drink all the water that he wanted to. But no, he asked this lady, this Samaritan woman, who was an outcast in her society, for a drink. And she had no idea who she's talking to. At least for right now. In fact, she she gets a little snooty with Jesus. She says, "Do you think you are better than our ancestors, Jacob, who gave us this well?" Now, can't you just see Jesus having a big old grin from ear to ear when she's saying this? How can you offer me better water, bro? I mean, this this well was dug hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and it's still producing water from our village. In John four, thirteen and fourteen, Jesus replied. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Have you ever had real spring water? I mean, not the bottled water that says real spring water. I'm talking about real spring water. When I was living in uh, Appalachian Mountains in Burnsville, North Carolina, beautiful, beautiful place. I was building houses uh, on a, as a side job when I was preaching at a little church there, and we went to this one particular house to work on it, and there was a, a little small outbuilding, and it had water that flowed into it, and this little building was full of water, and it, it was cold, cold, cold water, and. One of the guys was talking about how it was spring-fed, and it's where the people would come and and, and get their water. I, I guess they call it a spring house. I'm not exactly sure the, what the correct term for it was, but this house was spe- specific. This little shed was specifically built to catch the water, and you could see the dirt in the bottom of the house, but the water was clean because the dirt was settled to the bottom. And it was just a, It was so good. It was so cold and i'm thinking about that water with this woman who has god in the flesh standing before her asking her for a drink and he says i can give you water that is like a well springing forth that you will never thirst again it's the greatest water ever, and he's talking about I can give you the Holy Spirit. God will, will live inside of you because he they, he talks about it in John fourteen when he he's talking about the promise of the Comforter that's, that's soon to come when he after he dies, and he says me and my Father will come and dwell in you. How by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's what he is offering this woman here. Anybody drinks this water, you're going to be thirsty again. But the water I give, you'll never thirst again. It's like a bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Well, this woman just thinks that Jesus is just some Jewish man, remember. And here he is offering her water that if she drinks it, she'll never be thirsty again. And, And that means, hey, I don't have to come out to this well anymore, especially in the heat of the day. And so she says in verse 15, please, sir. Oh, she she says, please. So, you know, that makes everything good, right? Please, sir. The woman said, give me this water and then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. You see, she has become selfish, if you will. This conversation started because Jesus asked her for a drink, which she never did get for him, by the way. She tried every way she could to talk him out of it, even putting him down. But now that she finds out that she won't have to visit this well again, she wants what Jesus has to offer. But see, here's the problem. She's thinking the wrong way. She's got it all wrong, just like Nicodemus. You know, Nicodemus thought, well, how, how am I? I gotta be born again, Jesus. That's what you're telling me, Jesus? Well, how am I an old man gonna re enter my mom's womb and, and come out the birth canal again? Uh, it just blew his mind. He, he was thinking in the flesh he was thinking carnal. he wasn't thinking spiritually and and that's exactly what's going on with this woman. She becomes selfish because she's thinking hey this dude is offering me living water where I'll never thirst again and I won't have to come back to this well anymore and be shamed any anymore. She's selfish. I want my needs met. And everybody else can fend for themselves. And it's easy to see that in this lady. But what we need to realize is that we're just like her. We're not any better than she is. Because we, too, are a very selfish people. I mean, be honest. Do we really care about things that don't directly affect us? No. That's the answer. No. We don't. Oh, what's happening over there? I don't care. It's happening to them? I don't care. But the second something happens to us, well, then it matters. We're all about it. And we're all over try, all over trying to take control of the situation. That's called being selfish. In Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Paul says, don't be selfish. He just flat out says it. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves don't look out only for your own interest but take an interest in others too you see don't selfishness is i, I selfish says i don't care about your situation i don't care oh you know, we say i'll pray for you but do we really oh we might mention a little microwave prayer to god right there you know but most of the time we tell people i'll pray for you and we forget all about it That's selfish. What Paul's saying here is, he says, don't be selfish. Be humble. Think of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. In other words, if somebody comes to you and says, I have this situation, I have this problem, don't just say, hey, I'll pray for you. Pray for them. It's that simple. That's being selfless and not selfish. Selfish says, I'll pray for you, and you walk off and forget all about it. Selfless says, I'll pray for you, and you pray for them. And not only do you just pray for them one time, but you keep praying for them people and for their situation until they get an answer. That's what Christ is about. He was selfless, not selfish. That's why he could walk on Samaritan soil and sit down at this well and have a conversation with an outcast of her society and ask for a drink from her water pot. Because he was selfless. Not selfish. This woman is being selfish. Paul says in Romans chapter 6 verses 5 through 11. When we were utterly helpless. I mean there was nothing we could do. For our sins. Absolutely nothing. We were helpless. Christ came at just the right time. And died for us sinners. Now. Most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. God does not want us to get our lives right and then come to him. He will take us just where we are. We don't have to clean up. We don't have to get fixed. We don't have to... Get help. We don't have to make things right and then come to God. We come to God and He makes things right. He puts things in order and He helps us with whatever we're struggling with, whatever sin we're struggling with, whatever addiction we're struggling with, whatever, fill in the blank. And that's through the power of His Holy Spirit, that living water. He helps us, but He takes us exactly right where we are. I mean, think about it. He, he took Saul, who was persecuting Christians and, and having them killed men, women. And, and, and He's killing families and having them put in prison and didn't care. And he thought he was doing God a favor because he was a Pharisee. And this is Saul, also known as Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. If God can take a murderer like Saul or Paul... And use Him for His glory. He can do the same thing for you. And that's what He's going to do with this woman. But Paul says that while we were while we were sinners, God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die. We, we were utterly helpless. And God knew it. And by His grace and His mercy, He sent Jesus to die for us. And Paul goes on to say, "...and since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ..." He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Look, you, have, you can never go too far that the hand of God cannot reach down and save you. Stop what you're doing and look to God. You are an if you do not have Jesus Christ living inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit, you don't have living water, you are dry, and you your sin has separated you from God. You're utterly helpless. I don't care how strong of a person you are, and you think you can do it all on your own. You can't. And especially when it comes to salvation. Jesus is the only way to salvation. There is no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father except through me. And without Christ, you're an enemy to God. And through Christ, you can be a friend of God. And he did that just for you because of his love. And he is offering you the same thing that he offered this woman, living water, to be filled with his Holy Spirit so that you can have an opportunity to be with him in heaven for eternity. If Christ lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, then there is absolutely no place for selfishness. When you look up the fruits of the Spirit, you will not find selfishness. I promise you that. But what you will find is selflessness. And we are called to be like Christ. We are called to be selfless. And look out for the interest of others. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing by walking on Samaritan soil, hanging out at this well, because he knew this woman was going to be there at that appointed time. And he is extending to her grace and mercy. And he's doing the same thing for you. Here's my question for you as we end this podcast. Will you do the same for others? We are called to be like Christ. Full of grace and mercy. Forgiveness and bless others. Will you be like Jesus? God bless you. I'll see you next podcast. Shoulders be backwards on huh? all the way around so yeah, i could walk both ways oh boy jesus is about to give this woman a lesson in humility that she'll never forget in john chapter 4 verses 16 through 20 jesus just lays it out there on a silver platter he says you go and get your husband in verse 17 she says i don't have a husband Jesus says, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you're not even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth, Jesus says. Listen to her response. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. (laughs) You must be a prophet, you think? So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshiped? You know, talking about having, especially us males, we have huge egos. And if you're if you're in the if you're competitive at all, you have an ego. And talking about having your ego just brought to the lowest of lows and your pride absolutely crushed and shattered, Jesus just lays it out there to this woman: Go get your husband. He knew that she didn't have one. I ain't got a husband. I know you've had five, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. This Samaritan woman has got to be thinking, how in the world did he know that? I have never seen this man in my life. I don't even know who this dude is. And all she can muster out is, oh, you you must be a prophet. Now, you have to remember that God has been silent for over 400 years since the last prophet spoke until Jesus shows up. I mean, if you were in this lady's situation, if you were in her shoes, what would you be thinking? I think I can come up with something better than, you must be a prophet. I'd be thinking, I'd be saying to Jesus, how did you know that? Who are you, dude? But no, not the selfish Samaritan woman who still hasn't gotten Jesus any water. No, in fact, she's going to try and get in a religious debate with Jesus about which church is the best church to go to to worship. Do I go to church in Jerusalem or do I go to church at Mount Gerizim? And Jesus squashes this debate fast when he tells her pretty soon it will be neither place. You don't go to any of those places to worship God because one must worship in spirit and in truth. How did Jesus know about that woman's life if he wasn't God in the flesh? Something similar to this happened several times throughout the Gospels. Somebody would just be thinking something and Jesus would call them out because of what they were just thinking it's mind-blowing. In Psalm 139, 1-12, David tries to explain God like this. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You, you know when I'm sitting down, when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me it is too high I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your presence or from your spirit? Where can I go where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol behold you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Listen, there's nothing we can hide from God. Nothing. He knows everything about us. The Bible even says He knows how many hairs are on our head. See, you may be thinking that you're getting away with something, but God knows exactly what you're doing and what you've done. Oh, you may have everybody around you fooled, but not God. And someday soon your sin will find you out. Why not repent and give your life to Christ while you have the chance? Because one day you'll find out that you're not in control of your life at all. And just like this Samaritan woman who learned a lesson in humility... My friends, so will you. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, through the blood of Jesus Christ, we are made friends again with God. Stop running. You don't have control. Why not just let him have your life? Why not just be obedient? Go get the man a drink of water. That's why I want to tell the woman. He just asked for a drink of water and it sparked this big old conversation. And you think you're going to uh, out-talk God? You're going to try to divert because he, uh, his, his attention somewhere else? Because he has brought up your past? He, he, he has told you the sin that you're living in? You're an outcast in the society that you live in. Nobody wants to be around you. And the only thing you can do is divert that by trying to have a religious debate with God himself? Come on. Be real. You can't have a debate with God. God's word is is the absolute truth. It It, it, it is the plumb line that we're measured with. And we fall short. We have to have Jesus. And without him, we're dry. We don't have that that well that springs forth a, like a bubbling river. We got to have his Holy Spirit. Because without his Holy Spirit, we're full of darkness. We don't have the light. Our sins are not forgiven. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have my sins forgiven because I want to be in heaven for eternity, not in hell. And it ain't about the flames. It ain't about burning forever. It's about knowing that I've had the opportunity to serve Christ and to live for Christ and rejected Him. That will eat and eat and eat away for eternity, knowing that you'll never, ever have another opportunity to be with God. Listen to what this Samaritan woman says in verse 25. And listen to Jesus' response in verse 26. The woman said, I know the Messiah's coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus tells her, I am the Messiah. Now, here's my first thought when I read this and studying for this podcast. Here's what I thought. And this question goes for us. Lady, if you knew the Messiah is coming, then why didn't that change the way you live your life? She was an outcast in her society for a reason. She came out to this well in the heat of the day by herself for a reason. Let me say this. If you claim to be a Christian, and yet the people of the world can't tell any difference between them and you, there's a huge problem. You may want to reevaluate your relationship with Jesus. Because you may not even have a relationship with Jesus. If Jesus returned and he's coming back, he's going to come and gather all of us and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares. And if, if him coming back doesn't change the way you live your life, you got a huge problem. And God has a huge problem with you. It's just like a car. You think about a car, with a, the, when something goes wrong with the car, the check engine light comes on. And what do we do? Well, I know what I do. You know, pull the light bulb out of it or cover it up. We we just ignore it and just let it stay on instead of getting the issue fixed. Um, and we do the same thing with God. He gives us the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, and when we sin, a warning light comes on and says, "Hey, you're this this doesn't line up with my word." This doesn't line up with in obedience to me. You need to quit doing this. See, here's the problem. Many times we ignore the Holy Spirit. We ignore the warnings that God has given us, and we become callous to that sin. And when we become callous to that sin, it no longer bothers us. We just keep doing it and doing it and doing it, and it never bothers our conscience. And that's a dangerous thing just to keep on sinning when God is sending out a warning to us, stop doing this, This is not right. This is causing separation between you and me. Let me share a passage with you from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. The Hebrew author writes, Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. Let me read that again because that's important. If we deliberately continue sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, There is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume His enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which He made us holy as if it were common and (coughs) unholy. And have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Look, if you if, if you have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, you're going to struggle with sin. I mean, that, that's a given. Because our human nature is to sin. But there is a difference, a huge difference, in living in sin and just continuing to sin And blatantly sin, knowing that it's wrong, and not trying to do anything about it. We have, as the Hebrew author says, we have trampled on the Son of God. And we have treated the blood of Jesus Christ as as if it was no big thing, like it was common and unholy. And we've insulted the Holy Spirit, who brings God's mercy to us. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, you better stop. Stop. And that's why Jesus is having this conversation with this woman. She has made the statement, I know, or we know, that the Messiah is coming. Well, Jesus is saying, "I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you, lady. I am the Messiah. But my question is, if she knew the Messiah was coming, why did she live the way that she lived? Knowing that the Messiah was coming someday did nothing to change her lifestyle. She still lived a life of sin. All of this started because Jesus asked her for a drink of water, and yet again, he still hasn't gotten it. Have you Have you watched a soap opera? I mean, they, these were really big when I was younger. I don't think they're, I don't even know if they still have them today or not, but there's there's always something that, that dramatic that's about to happen, or it, it's fixed, it's just happened, and, and the scene gets interrupted, and, and there's a dramatic pause, and you remember the, the people just sit there and stare, and then they go to a commercial break. Well, Jesus has just revealed that he is the Messiah to, to this Samaritan woman who is an outcast in her society. She's been married five times and she's currently living with a man who is not her husband. And then all of a sudden there's a pause. There's an interruption. And it's kind of like we go to a commercial break. Because Jesus' disciples that have gone into town to get some food, well, they come back and they see Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman. And with that little bit of disruption, the lady makes a break for it, and she rushes back to town, and she's yelling at everybody that she could find. She's saying, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him, to meet Jesus for themselves. That's verse 29 and 30. Well, remember what John said at the beginning of the chapter about Jesus? He must needs go through Samaria, or Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, here's why he had to go through Samaria, John chapter four verses thirty nine through forty three, and this is the mo- This is just so awesome. It says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they got they got to see Jesus for themselves. Basically, what this is saying, and so they urged him to stay with him, with them, and he stayed for two days. So they got to meet the Messiah, God in the flesh. He stayed in their village, he stayed in their homes, and they got to question Jesus. And they got to know Jesus. And they said, we no longer believe just because of what you said, talking to the lady. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. And after two days, he left for Galilee. Is that not awesome? Just because Jesus took the time to walk on Samaritan soil and in the heat of the day, go to that well and wait for this woman to come and he has a conversation with an outcast in her society. He extends to her grace and mercy. She goes back into the village and telling these people, I think the Messiah is here. And they all come out and they meet Jesus. They invite him into the village. And many people became believers and they followed christ that's why this chapter is one of my favorite chapters in the whole bible this story is so awesome because jesus broke religious rules man made religious rules he blew the minds of the pharisees and the Saddu- people who should have been showing god to begin with jesus extends grace and mercy to this samaritan woman and because he did many other people heard her testimony and their lives were changed as well that's what it's all about Jesus changing our lives, and in turn, we tell people our story. That's what Grind It's all about. We're telling people our story and how Jesus has helped us through it all and hoping that it will change your life for the glory of God. I'll see you next podcast. Thank you for listening to the Grind it podcast today. You can send any questions or comments to grinditpodcast at gmail.com. Please join us next time. And when a challenge comes your way,
1: just grind it.
0: been grinding all my life, sacrifice, hustle, pay the price, want a slice, got the roll of dice, that's why, all my life, I've been grinding all my life, all my life.